0: Well, oh, boys, looks like we started the fun without me. Right. You're all sick. Every last one of you. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You am scared of things that go boom? boom. Give me one
1: goddamn reason why I shouldn't blow your goddamn brains all over that goddamn wall.
2: My name is Eric Thirteen. I've survived another show. Here with us is Michael Kester.
1: Well, you have seven days till the next show. It's nice of you to show up with your traditional Japanese flutes in the background, too. I really like your, (laughs) you're really going for the aesthetic uh, of Ringu today. That's it's a Killapalooza today. For anybody who's not been uh, a fan of Double Feature long enough to know what a Killapalooza is, it's when there's a Palooza of kills. And today the culprit
2: is Ringu. The culprit is whatever my neighbor's playing over there. I don't know. <laughs> this is a Brooklyn apartment, man. I don't know what you want me to say. I fixed my throat on this episode, and then the fuck, you know, there's always something. What are you going to do? We are finally doing Ringu, and... Uh, well. What do you mean, well? <laughs> don't... I mean, Hold we're doing... On. Hold on, buddy. Well. We are doing some Ringo. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're doing the right ones. Which was part of the whole question, but we'll get to that. Uh, I already have a bunch of questions for you, actually, because you and I have been trying to determine, you know, what the fuck to do about this for so long. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna spoil the show, as everybody uh, knows. I don't know. Are we gonna fucking spoil these movies? I really.
1: I mean, yeah. So here's the thing: is if you're not familiar with this universe, this franchise, in any capacity. We're gonna spoil it because the the mere premise is a monster spoiler. If you haven't seen at least the Naomi Watts American remake, which is the very popular one,
2: yeah, I guess I just feel like I can't even pronounce anybody's name on this show, sure. so I'm not entirely sure. I'm uh, I wouldn't come out like really waving the spoiler flag, alerting everybody, but you know, you kind of proceed at your own caution, I guess. Um, also, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. That's where you can find previous Killapaloozas. Michael, did you know this is our 42nd Killapalooza? I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. I'm not sure that I wanted to know that. But (laughs) I I am
1: am ever proud of us for being able to... I, I don't know if I'm more proud of us or disappointed in mankind for there being... At least, so we know for a fact, at least 43 possible killapaloozas considering the fact that we had to split the ring franchise.
2: Yeah and man did we split it up patreon.com forward slash double feature talk to me a little bit about what we're doing today and why we split it this way and why it's such a fucking problem.
1: So um, we have actually wanted to do the ring Ringu Sadako Sadako versus the grudge whatever fucking nonsense. This presented a similar problem to Puppet Master, for anybody who remembers that. Killapalooza. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. Um, but, so, the thing about this franchise, right, is 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 as as most of us know, it started in Japan. It started with the film, uh, technically started with the film Ringu. Uh, uh, non-specifically, there was actually a, a an adaptation of the book before even Ringu. So there's a book, which is important. There's right, a book. It's called... It's called Ringu, um, and, the, and the, the, the first movie is the second adaptation of this book. The first one was made for TV. So the movie that we're covering today, Ringu, is like the real first swing at doing the Ringu series. So and you're so saying immediate- even
2: before Ring, number one, film one. Yes. Ringu. Yeah. There is a film, well, what is it, like five years before, right? 95, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's yeah. a TV movie. Um, yeah. Ring Kazanban, I think it's called. Yeah, and this movie was—I uh, don't think it was ever released outside of Japan. It's hard to get, right? And the last copies of it were printed before Ringu was even made. So already it's a little dicey. We're we're fast-forwarding past that, and we're starting in '98. Mm-hmm. And then how far are we going? 2000, and we're going
1: to do four movies. All right. Because simultaneously released with Ringu, which is the first film, uh, is another film called uh, Raisin, which has now been retitled to uh, Ringu Spiral, which is a film adaptation of the second book in the series. Okay, So it's, it's supposed to be a direct sequel to the movie in that it's an adaptation of the second book. Now, this film failed, so then they immediately went back to the drawing board and, and abandoned the novelizations and made a sequel to the first movie, which is Ringu 2, which we'll also cover. That was 99. And then in 2000, they made a film called Ring Zero Birthday, which is the uh, origin story of Sadako, who is the girl, the ring girl from the well. And all of this took place over this three-year span prior to the American remake with Naomi Watts. And so we, we basically truncated the whole story there because it, it basically has this massive expanse where there's an alternate version of a Korean one. There's two American ones. Sadako gets a spinoff. She gets in a fist fight with the chick from The Grudge.
2: All of this stuff. Uh, Kayako is the name. Not to mention the, the TV... Uh, series, right? Which I think there's at least two of. So
1: all of this gets very convoluted, but which you this is something you alluded to at the beginning of the show. I think we actually picked the cleanest James Cameron. I'm sorry, quadrilogy. Still getting that nickel from the Alien
2: movies. Still get
1: <laughs> to have a conversation, and I would argue that you obviously one of these movies you don't even need to see to understand. There's a very good. There's a very meaty story within these four movies um, that really, it's all you need. It's very ginger snap out. We did ginger snaps uh, famously on Double Feature. It was the first three film, Killapalooza. And that's because that's all you need. And I think that there's, there's an argument to be made here that everything that comes from this is based here and everything else is just pomp and fluff and fun. But the actual meat of the franchise is here, and it starts with Ringu
2: 98. I mean, I would argue that I need 10 more ginger snaps, but, you know, your needs don't always get met. That's just uh, life on Earth. I think you'd be in space before you'd be having a good time, man. I have been beating the drum on the Ring movies for so long on this show because I really, I genuinely love learning about complicated things.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and you know i just love learning about film in general and my blind spots and i don't know the ring franchise or didn't you know before we did this uh didn't know it very well and i'm not sure how well people will come away from these four films obviously there's just so much more but we've never really had a franchise that we had this much trouble figuring out like what even are the movies what's canon how does any of this work Mm-hmm. So the easiest place to start for me was Ringu, because it has such a a kind of notoriety to it, mm-hmm. and I'd never seen it. So you know, my only familiarity with the ring was the American version. And I think for a lot of our listeners, that might be the case. Mm-hmm. But this movie has a real place in the horror canon. So it kind of it it had built that that um on. On a Serbian film, we talked about this a little bit. You know, you hear about a movie and you hear about a movie and you hear about it. And then when you finally see it, it's this immediate sort of like, oh, that's what this is. Mm -hmm. You know, so the first frame of the ring is interesting to me, just to go like, okay, what are we talking about here? And I mean, J-horror got so well known, even the ones we've covered on the show, maybe especially the ones on the show, for having these kind of like, massive ideas on tiny budgets Mm -hmm. and to compound that it was also a lot of direct-to-video titles Mm -hmm. and when we got them in america we would get them a lot of times we get them on these really poor transfers i mean the technology wasn't as good back then but like restoration just was there was no mind for this stuff it wasn't treated nearly as preciously so i'm used to when i when somebody goes oh this japanese horror movie in my head, is the worst-looking fucking movie.
1: Yeah, right. They call it, yeah, it's called Visitor Q. You just imagine you're going to (laughs) watch Visitor Q. Well,
2: also, Takashi Miike, who I think breaks for lunch and then has two more movies to film before the day is over, you know. Um, So to see something from this era that looks this good is honestly kind of astonishing. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was immediately given this sense of, um just like a a masterful foreboding sense where i don't know, i don't know it's hard to explain but i felt like the movie's in control a lot more than i wanted it to yeah. be mm-hmm. and that really worked for the horror of it yeah because immediately i had under in my mind i'd like undersold what it had the ability to do right and it it showed up and it looked like it looked like uh a legitimate film with the ability to scare the fuck out of me so <laughs> right um. Uh, so yeah that was already pretty freaky yeah in a lot of ways
1: Ringu is the nirvana of the J-horror movement mm-hmm. <laughs> which is to say I know I use this analogy all the time but it's just a really strong nirvana analogy.
2: that's that uh, yeah that's that band from the Batman movie is that right Uh yes that's correct. Right.
1: It's, you know, when the grunge movement happened in Seattle, Nirvana was kind of like the big hit, right? They mm-hmm. had all the money behind them. They put out Nevermind, which is the big Nirvana album. And then suddenly anybody else who had anything going for them, even remotely similarly to Nirvana, had a few bucks chucked at them. And they're like, oh no, do something. Yeah. And so Ringu in this way is the, I don't know for sure if it's the biggest budget of the J horror, but it was definitely a sizable budget for a film. And then, then you get your Juwan, uh, which is the grudge. You get your dark water. You get uh, all of these, all of these sort of movies that were being capitalized on because of the success of Ringu. And obviously they're not going to get the same, production level because one, they're rushing them and two, they don't it's a it's a shot in the dark. They're just trying to cash in on these ideas. And so what you're saying is, is you're pointing out the fact that the rest of the onslaught of these movies, most of which we are more familiar with in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. don't have the same look. There is another one, um, which I'm not even going to name here because it's going to confuse people, uh, that I will get on the show that has a production value in my mind higher than this. Um, it's also the only one that we never remade in the U.S., so cool um, okay but we'll talk about that on another show because the the title alone will confuse this entire conversation i promise you so yeah but anyway you're right like this movie starts i am intimately i should say familiar with the uh american remake the um was it Mm. is it gore verbinski right
2: oh i don't know is it it yeah i believe it's
1: gore verbinski I'm intimately familiar. I think, and and I will go on record on the show, you know, crucify me if you must, as saying it's one of the most important American horror movies ever made. Flat out, I will tell you this. Mm. I think it was the first time in ten years that a horror movie got people back into the theater.
2: So, um, well, it's also anyway. fucking crazy. We'll talk about this as it goes as as the show goes on. But these movies really. It, to- it gave the marching orders for the genre right. for so long after that. Yeah. And it's a pretty clear, I mean, we don't really have to spell it out. It's a pretty clear, you just start seeing the imports and the rest of it.
1: So to go, to dive into Ringu, it's really, it's hard to even have this conversation about Ringu because sort of like you were saying about spoilers, the conversation to have about ringo is basically to explain what it is as if people don't know what it is, but it is ingrained in social culture, what the ring means. Yeah. Right. So the, the essential idea of the movie and what makes it fun as sort of this like secret foreign movie is there's a videotape floating around. uh, You watch it. It's creepy Um, And then seven days later, you fucking die. And that's it. That's the premise. Uh, And what's amazing about it, the thing that I think is sort of um, really fun about about the translation and the um the the importing of Ringu not not to say the American remake but the importing of Ringu to American video stores right mm. in Japan Ringu comes out and it's fucking Ringu and it's a movie you see but in America you see Ringu and it feels like you found something and so immediately there's this injection of am i is there a meta aspect of this movie where if i watch Ringu is this the tape yeah you don't get that in Japan because that's it's a native movie to Japan, but you kind of have to dig it dig it up in the US so it feels dirtier. It feels like, oh shit, am I even supposed to be watching this? And I feel like that is why, why it actually has a little bit more of an impact for an American audience because it feels like it could actually be the, the tape.
2: Yeah, there's a lot about the movie I found unnerving even so many years later after you know, we've talked so much about different forms of found footage and cursed this or that, and I just feel like I've become so familiar with that concept and I didn't know how unnerving a lot of the movie would still be. The kind of, um, first of all, there's uh, there's little to no score in this movie, which Mm -hmm. uh, is one of those bold choices that could really work against it and instead totally works for it. It's Really, the only score in the movie is like these scrape strings for, you know, just nailing the worst scares. And the, um, the other one is the kind of uh, depressing, inevitable synth over the date, you know? Mm-hmm. So every time that date comes up, it's, it's just this reoccurring bit of sound creates such an association in your head and adds to the, you know, the iconography of the movie um the opening scene i knew from the american film and it's i guess what i found like really really kind of like upsetting and really worked about it is the everyday objects that were were made so unsettling you know you obviously were dealing with vhs tapes mm-hmm. but also the phone man yep the idea of a landline in your house that would ring Is so ominous to me today that you just be doing whatever and suddenly it's like an alarm going off in your house. Right. I mean, and you don't even get the courtesy
1: of it saying scam likely to know to just ignore it. (laughs) Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or that it's societally acceptable to just not fucking answer (laughs) it. Back then, that was how people, the two ways that people entered your life back then were that or to bang on your front door, which is is actually my least favorite (laughs) sound in the known universe. But yeah, I mean, you and I are not young enough to have grown up without that. That was very much a thing that existed when we were younger. And that's worn off to me. I have been away from the randomly occurring phone call on the landline long enough that now when I see it, I can't believe it ever existed. Because it just seems horrifying and it'll just keep going. And people outside your house have control over whoever's calling you up is the one in control of how often a thing rings in your house. Mm -hmm. If somebody were to invent that today, there's no vibrate switch on it. You can't block the caller. Mm -hmm. If they invented that today, I feel like there'd be an outcry and people would want the government to ban it. Mm -hmm. Just, hey, put an alarm in my house that... uh, only people outside my people house turn can turn on, on and yeah. they can do it whenever <laughs> they want. Like that sounds fucking crazy to me. So it's it's extremely, um, I don't know, it's just a very nerve wracking. When it well, re- it's intrusive. It's intrusive and it's been set up, you know, they couch this in a really great way. They tell the story and then when the phone rings as it's been foretold in the story, you're just like, fuck, is this it? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, the phone's not the only one. I mean, I think the um, the TVs are really upsetting too, the old TV. Yeah. The way these TVs used to live in that, look, everybody stop rolling your eyes, old people, okay? I'm one of you, I understand, but like, it's been a while, man. Yeah. It's been a while, and I cannot remember the last time I had an apartment maybe never, where the TV was a CRT that sat in the corner of the room right? sort of on this stack of shelves facing down at right. you. It's yeah. so oppressive. It's just horrifying. TVs used to be this sort of like monolithic fixture.
1: There's all those, you know, if you if you think back to all those ads about like, you know how every fucking like third thing you read today is like, oh, people are stuck on their phones. Oh, these people are just robots who stare at their flow. And it's like, yeah, we get it. And I'm looking oh, at- Oh, you
2: mean the op-ed that I wrote? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I'm looking yeah. at my phone reading your op-ed. Yeah, yeah. So, uh- TVs used to have that same thing. It was sort of this like monolithic pedestal that uh, it was a glow, right? That mm-hmm. glowed the room. The, the room was was basked in this pale blue glow. Sure. And the sound of the white noise, which, which wasn't problematic unless your volume was, volume was too high. But again, it was always very intrusive. Because like that white noise, you're like ah, I need that to go away. Yeah, <laughs> I need to. You know, you're talking about the phone ringing. Yeah, but the white noise of the television has that same that same Quick, like ah, something it's like on. a drill, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and and furthermore, they also do it in this. Um, do you remember how you could hear when a television was on in a room? Yeah, there's just a high pitch squeal, uh-huh. even if the screen was pitch black. Yeah, you knew the television was on. There's and so. This series, this movie knows it has you in this respect, because you have watched the tape, you have elected, you have bought into the one piece of premise, and and it is really difficult. Similarly to another movie it follows, where like by fucking you are you are playing the game. Uh, so like you you buy a ticket. It's super super easy to buy a ticket if you or I were in a room with a V. I mean saw basically built this premise. You're in a room with a tape and a VCR. The first thing you fucking do is put the tape in the VCR and hope it's porn, but maybe it's a curse. And so that part, the the ticket to ride is so easy to buy. And then as soon as you do, they capitalize on all of these intrusive things. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which the moment, the moment that makes you shit your fucking pants is when she comes out of the television because the whole time you're going, well, she can't get me. My doors are locked. I live in an apartment. I'm 30 stories up. Uh, She can't get me, you know, and, and you're like, oh, is she, where's she going to come from? And when she crawls out of the television, it is this, this like dreaded level of fear because you know what you do? uh, What I do is I go, Every single house on earth. <laughs> every home.
2: Yeah. Every
1: yeah. home in the world has a has that she can access it.
2: Well, and the CRTs were big enough that a person could literally fit inside too. So it yeah. wasn't it wasn't that far fetched.
1: Uh it's so it's it's just the whole premise is built on you you sign your own death warrant, and then in seven days, this curse has access to you. You cannot avoid it. You'd have to go to a you know, a cabin with no phone or, or television, I guess. And then, and then
2: you're just, just going to come out of some fucking well, because you know there's a well there. All right, we could talk at length about Ringu, but I really think we owe the franchise a little bit of discussion on these much less loved movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there is one that is much less loved than *Racing* than Spiral. This is the movie that people want to write off. Mm-hmm. And the franchise does, too. The franchise later kind of goes, oh, uh, yeah, never mind. I mean, not that much later, but mm-hmm. uh, you at least get the runtime of this movie. But I thought it was really unfair the way that, you know, people look back on the Ring movies and when you, this is why we do this show. When you go, hey, uh, I want to get into the Ring. What should I watch? People will kind of tell you, well, see the canonical, you know, watch Ringu and then Ring 2, and then Ring Zero if you want a prequel, and then, you know, the American ones. And people gloss over Spiral because it kind of had this failure to launch. I don't think that's the only reason. Well, the thing that people won't tell you about Spiral is that, you know, it has returning actors in it. I mean, it's very, very much Mm -hmm. canonically part of this until it isn't. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not just some random movie that's kind of got the ring slapped on it that they cleaned up later. It's not Death Race 2. This is so intended to be another movie in the same series, let's say. Yeah, And, you know, that is just interesting to me looking back at these because I don't watch these movies and go like, okay, pick and choose what's my favorite canon, how do I want to put it together? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm looking at this kind of historically. I'm trying to get a picture of like, so what the fuck is The Ring as a cultural sensation? And one of the most interesting parts of that to me is the sort of bizarre um, orphaned movie that, uh, that people just are so quick to run away from. I want to know like what's in it and what the fuck happened with it.
1: It's not surprising to me that this is an abandoned movie. If this were, so here's the thing, right? If this were, if this were Ringu 4, this would be canonical, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, it would be canonical right alongside of the Amityville lamp. Right. But it's not. It was the immediate sequel And what this movie stands to do, you and I, you should know the answer to this. We know the answer to this because we have done 42 fucking Kilapaloozas. What this movie fails to do is watch the first movie and go, what are the rules? How do we do that again? Because it's not interested in that. Because it's a novelization. It's trying to expand a story. It's got a lot to say. There are themes at play. It's telling a greater tale. But a cinematic audience goes, "No, more tapes, more TV ghost. That's what I want. Don't tell me that it's not actually tapes. Don't tell me that it's a virus. I don't want to know that. I want it to be more tapes, more TV ghost. Stop trying to explain it to me." Yeah. It's it's the same reason people don't like Halloween 3. It's the same reason people don't like Friday the 13th part 5, but bizarrely they do like the first one. It's the same reason that when you look back at the Killapalooza, it's the same reason nobody likes Hellraiser after the fourth one or the third one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's these franchises establish these very strong devices. It's not even motifs, man. It's like what, what are the bullet points of this franchise? Yeah. Totally. And unfortunately, Spyro was made concurrently with Ringu. And so they didn't have This idea of how the audience was going to respond or what pieces of the movie that they were going to latch onto. And they basically released them simultaneously and the audience went, Well, where's the fucking tapes? Where are the tapes?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just watched
1: the tapes movie. Where's the tapes?
2: It's so funny because it's done almost like this grand experiment. And, you know, when you have two different movies done two different ways. And you send them out in the world and the audience so goes, man, this first one, this is what we like. In a way, you've built a trap for yourself because then it's kind of like play the fucking hits. Mm-hmm. There's so much that's different about the second one. We get, um, uh, you know, I promised you I wouldn't try to pronounce anybody's name, but the actor who we also see in Lost, mm-hmm. uh, who I was very happy to find as a big part of the ring because I love him or excuse me ring no no article in this no article no the i should stick with you Ringu, you, but yeah. i fucked gotta myself up you got to drop the, the, the spiral. just ring <laughs> <laughs> thanks appreciate that yeah so some of the staples that we had in the first one i mean we see some of them come back and some we don't the phone calls was always weird to me because i assumed that was just part of the the pattern you you watch the tape you get a phone call and that wasn't always true and so it stops being true here. The um, you know the the warped Polaroids and the pictures I thought was such a a great part of the first one. It's the same thing we we're talking about the TVs. We didn't even talk about the scariest fucking thing about a TV to me is when when the CRTs were black, and it was just your sort of like low grade contrasty reflection. And everything in the room was fucking warped. And it's just showing you a picture of everything that's behind you as you've been absorbed inside the, you know, the picture for hours at a time. Then it clicks off and it's like, here's the real world and everyone's standing behind you. It's just fucking horrifying. So the warped face and obviously all the water stuff um, comes back. But I feel like a lot of it is the style that makes it feel different. The first movie had this very slow, deliberate—reminded r- me of a 70s film, a lot of stylistic choices. It would shoot scenes from really high up, almost as kind of like surveillance, disorienting surveillance kind of position. But even the plot was—you know, the first ring's a mystery. And I don't know if, if Rayson's really a mystery— in that kind of like ticking clock way, you know what I mean? Right. Like it doesn't have the constant development, right? Every single scene in the first one is sort of like, we gotta get to the next thing, we gotta do this or that, until the seven days are up, until we reveal that ring is really just a pyramid scheme, an actual pyramid scheme, to get people to watch it. And I think that, you know, part of the second movie is is undoing so much of that lore it's kind of going like well it is a tape that's cursed but it's also like really it's reading it doesn't have to be a tape you know i know you guys like the vhss but uh it doesn't have to be that it could be reading and um and it is an actual virus as well so you have to uh read this thing or just be near somebody and then you'll get the virus and that sort of like diminishes the the cursed it's sort of like they show up and go, Wow, this curse is really scary. You know what's even scarier is like the actual flu. You could get that. Uh so let's just add those, you know, like graft some of those properties onto it. Well, I mean, I think I think sort of like those
1: other movies that I mentioned, um, this movie is most notable for being like the black sheep of of this franchise. And I and I should be I, I wanna be clear after like smacking its hand for trying to do something interesting. It's not a bad movie. It's, a, it's perfectly fine. But it's not what I want from the ring, again, coming to the ring retroactively, which is how everybody is now. And like I said before, these ideas, these are great lofty ideas to explain a franchise that's already going stale, but your second movie, you don't want to just abandon your device. You just need to turn the device up again.
2: Well, yeah, it's really I mean, it really deliberately removes the horror that was so like the yeah. first the first movie is such a hard horror movie by comparison. And here part of it is like the naturalistic explaining away of the curse. Anytime you move away from a curse, you know, I feel like you're you're taking a little horror out of the story. But it's funny because it's basically like oh, man, everyone who's gone down for a five-hour swim in the 100-year sedentary well water has died. Must be a curse. It's like, (laughs) I mean, it sounds sounds kind of fucking dangerous. I don't know. Yeah, everybody's getting sick. Everybody who goes down and hangs out in this well for a really long time, strange. But they do come back at the end and do a lot of, uh, you know, despite removing horror elements, there's so many of these, like, flashback elements transference of energy it does really have a lot more supernatural kind of weight to it than i i think i'm giving it credit for like it basically ends with this this like hardcore matrix energy i don't know what the fuck is going on Mm -hmm. with like the coats and the to, are they wearing sunglasses? It feels like they are. I don't think they are, actually. I. It's funny, yeah. I don't think they are, too, but I've been imagining they are. Yeah, so it kind of opens up this world to be this whole, it's like a fucking MMO at uh, at the end of the ring. And then I think this is the one, so fittingly, that ends in the credits by saying, you know, the ring will return in the third adventure and it's like that. This is the movie you want to say that because it is, of course, the fucking funniest. As they're immediately like, "Wow, sorry about that." Here's something else. <laughs> uh, what is what is a ring two when you compare it? I guess give me the contrast with these.
1: So, I mean the the if you if you think about it, think. Let's think about it in Game of Thrones terms, right? Eventually, there was a there was a departure from the novelizations, and. So, Spiral, Raisin, Ringu Spiral, was the film adaptation of the second novel in the Ringu series.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ringu 2 is the direct sequel to the film Ringu. Essentially going, there was no sequel to this. Yeah. Uh, ignoring the canon that's presented in the, in the novelization and just going, what happened next? So, once again, you get the cast back
2: isn't that that's, crazy it's crazy <laughs> for like that's a the, fucking redux like one year it's later it's
1: nuts it's nuts to, like it's it's one thing to go okay well the cast is back it's another thing to be like this cast just made a sequel to to the
2: this is their this is this cast second <laughs> sequel to the same movie yeah, yeah within a year um it doesn't seem possible right right it seems like you could never the the forces that be would just be like, ah, we really fucked up. We have to just try with new people. The ring next generation, just we got to do something else.
1: So this one really explores, um, it, it goes a little bit into the background of Sadako and, and really sort of, I mean, you get very supernatural with it. There's a lot of like um, uh, empath type medium stuff Um, these, some of these characters have this like psychic curse element that is being mistaken for, um, being possessed, demonic possession. Mm -hmm. And it, it basically takes a dive using the, uh, using this child, uh, as essentially a new surrogate Sadako and going, oh, is this the new Sadako? How do we, uh, how do we prevent another Sadako level event, uh, with this child but it takes the ending of the first film, which is make copies, then you don't get... Make copies, as long as somebody watches it, you don't get cursed. And I, I will go on record as saying, I think this is actually a bigger misstep, but it is more fun. I just don't know why we're so... Con- it, it's Killapalooza, Michael. Relax. But I don't <laughs> know why we're so concerned with with... What makes Sadako scary? I'm like, I, I'm just scared. You don't need to explain the terror to me, but they do really try and try and explain uh, what her power is and uh, and how they can how they
2: can destroy it. Well, we know Sadako is a part that works or that they think works at this point. Yeah. this is really the moment in the franchise for me where they're they're sort of like, oh, embrace the icon. So we want to know about this girl and what... It's no longer... Because Raisin is more, it's a virus or it's a concept or even a curse when it's more a curse. Mm-hmm. And not there is this person who is doing this thing. Although I guess you get the reincarnation, uh, reincarnation mm-hmm. stuff there too. So it's not as if they remove the character entirely, but I felt like ring two, this one Mm -hmm. is the movie that really cements like, oh, we got to do more Sadako stuff. Like that's what people are showing up for. Right. They want to see the well, they want the fingernails to come off because it plays into the horror of like, yeah, the, the curse becomes a little less VHS tape and a little more what happened to this girl.
1: But the thing that they also do in this movie that is probably the most fun aspect to me Is they show the they they basically they create the real world events that are in the tape, right? So the the woman in the mirror, which is it's literally just the inverse scene
2: from uh, Mulholland Drive, and it still scared the shit out of me. (laughs) It's uh, one of the coolest moments in the franchise for me. Yeah. Yeah. All I really want the whole time is just to revisit these moments Each that scene are in the I
1: just yeah I want so so the movie I want is a found footage version of The Ring where it's a bunch of people where it's just the people making the movie
0: yeah it's totally. just
1: the people making the video from The Ring, um, or or something like that. I don't know what their motivation would be, but I'm also not Japanese, so
2: finding herself inside the mirror scene. I mean, it adds this extra sort of scary quality because you know like this is a sacred scene you've just happened upon mm-hmm. you know this is mm-hmm. this is one of the right again to use a, a word like canonical right like this is one of these scenes from the tape i'll go back a little bit though because actually another one of my favorite scenes is from this one which is the interview tape mm-hmm which becomes, like, another sort of haunting ghost. You know, they interview this girl about uh, part of their, like, constant uh, fluff piece. You know, what is this fun little curse that you guys are all talking about? This seems to be, like, there's some local news channel in Japan, and all they do is air stories about the ring curse and, like, what school children think of it. They're just always making segments about this. But... The guy's sitting there looping the sections as the tape kind of melts into the ghost and then she turns to him. And I just thought it's such a fucking effective little scare and it plays into the medium really well.
1: It's funny because as much as I think that the icon of the first movie is the tent pole of the franchise it's funny to look at these two direct sequels and be like oh yeah ring 2 you guys figured out it, it mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like what you were saying about a, about the failed experiment of spiral being like being concurrently filmed it also basically gave them the opportunity to see the reaction to the first movie and see the reaction to a possible sequel and go, okay, so more like this and completely the opposite of that. <laughs> right.
2: Uh, right. And yeah. that should
1: put us in the right direction.
2: One, well, it's also cool because it's not just like, uh, give me the TV scene again. Uh, we want to see her crawl out of the TV, but in a bigger way. You know, the, doing the loop of the interview and having that turn into VHS ghost, And kind of using that for uh, what I think is the very last scene in this movie. They at least come back to it. You know, it's advancing the mythology a little bit. It's playing into what made it scary and what just really what made it cool, what made it unique without just repeating literally the same fucking tableaus, which is what happens so much. You kind of go like, ah, do that thing that I liked from the first one. I want to see it do it again, but like with better cameras or whatever the fuck it is. A movie theater-sized screen. Can I tell you about a terrible thing that happened to me once? Sure. I feel fucking robbed about this. This last movie is called Ring Zero Birthday. It is, yeah. As you and I have tried to put together some kind of Ring Killapalooza for so long... Ring Zero Birthday became this sort of like throwing our hands up, but we don't know what the fuck is going Mm -hmm. on with this. You know, like, how does that fit in? And it's just, you know, Ring Zero is a funny name. Sure. You get what it's doing. It's a prequel, right? But just naming something like franchise zeroth installment is funny. and. Then birthday without any kind of colon separating those, right. just ring zero birthday. Right. And then I think at some point I started calling it ring zero happy birthday. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. I was doing press for this movie Antrim, right? Mm-hmm. Which is also a, a uh, purportedly cursed movie from the 70s, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, I would I would reach for things in interviews to talk about, to like give people a sense of sort of what we're playing around with. And, you know, I talk about like House of Leaves and the Necronomicon and this like patchwork quilt of whatever. Mm-hmm. And my favorite one is is when I managed to wedge in reference to Ring Zero Birthday and a rather large horror publication that I will not shame here edited it out of the interview because they thought no one knew what the fuck it was. Mm,
0: <laughs> so,
2: that sucks. Yeah, so that really broke my heart. And um and it hadn't really been healed until I actually got to see Ring Zero Birthday for the show.
1: Turns out that the title's misleading and it's actually like a very fine addition <laughs> to this franchise.
2: Well, and also that there's not a lot of birthday going on. I expected at least like I,
1: I all right, all right. so well no, let me just let me just fucking Please. Just spread my American mayonnaise. Um <laughs> do you have to I'm willing to bet and I don't know because again white guy uh, willing to bet that birthday is a mistranslation of like um, like
2: oh sure the sure. beginning yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know uh, it, it probably like in America we're like birthday oh is gonna have some cake and in Japan it's probably like birthday as in like the birth of the the evil uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right
2: so funny.
1: Um, I and, don't know but, if that's so true, I'm,
2: but let's pretend it is because it's too good not to be.
1: So anyway, uh, I just imagine Ring Zero birthday. I just imagine Sadako with a cake with no candles because zero, but she is wearing a party hat, right? And she's disappointed, and that's why she makes the tape. <laughs> this is this is an origin story. Um, it's, come, it's funny coming from this franchise from the center, right? So we're going to cover the first four. Then there's these American ones. And then there's like four more. So we're coming. I've come to this franchise from the center. I've seen The Ring and I've seen the the sequel to The Ring, the Naomi Watts one. Mm-hmm. And so I have this expectation of what it is. And so to go and do Ring Zero Birthday where they're like, it's Sadako. And she's like in the play from Stage Fright, but people are dying. And um but also there's like a second Sadako and they're like two Sadakos at once. And I'm like, okay, listen, I've seen Malignant. So first of all, you can't fool me.
2: It's kind of funny. They stick with that bit of lore too. I remember when they when they dropped that in the previous film mm-hmm. that, uh, oh, well, who is Sadako? Oh, well, she was in an acting troupe. That's like one little thing you learn about her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's kind of a random piece of knowledge. So when they decide to make this movie about her being in the acting troupe, I'm just like, this is fucking weird mm. commitment. Well,
1: you know that there is, there is a room of people that are like, what do we know about Sadako? And they're like, well, she died in a well. Uh, she And they're like, well, she was in an acting troupe. They're like, there, that. that's the one thing we know about her other
2: than her being a dead haunted ghost. One guy is like, hey, and part of the well was missing. I'm like, yeah, we got that. We know it's important. Part of the well was missing. We've We've written that down. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm kind of surprised at how much time it spends with this girl who is ostensibly a girl mm-hmm. and uh, not a reincarnation of evil or whatever. And then we really get to this sort of like Sadako that people know at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not entirely... It's not really weird for these prequels. And this is sort of, you know, well worn territory for our American franchises, too. This is just one of the things they do. You know, Hannibal gets a yeah. fucking young Hannibal. A too soon. A young Texas chainsaw. A young. There's
1: you like know. 11 young Texas chainsaws. Texas yeah. chainsaw. Let me just go on record here. Texas chainsaw is hands down the franchise king for baby <laughs> Bubba. Like yeah, I'm, I'm 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 very I'm very confident if you do the math that there are more movies about young Leatherface than adult Leatherface.
2: Real cradle to grave in that uh, fucking franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we explore a lot of the the kind of mysteries of Ring, a lot of ones that we already knew. I'm curious at the end of this series of four. If you feel like there's still a lot of unknown, like is there anything about the lore where you're still going like, okay, but what that what's that part about?
1: It's just it's funny because at the when I was talking about what the what Spiral did wrong, uh, it it departed from what I said was important, mm. and I feel like by Ring Zero Birthday that the rest of the franchise is also departed from what I feel because I feel like there's this that the franchise has latched on to. I almost called her Samara Sadako, uh-huh. and the the spookiness to me is not uh, how did Sadako end up in a well. The spookiness to me is what is this tape? Who made the tape? Why does it kill you?
2: Yeah. Well, I also really love the piece of lore that's sort of like how does the tape get in your house? Mm-hmm. And there there's a lot of wrong answers to this, but man, the right answer huge credit to the movie. It's like, well, you know how you just have a lot of these tapes laying around and sometimes you go over there and you're like, how'd this one get here? What what the fuck is this tape? I don't know what this is. Let me put it in and look at it. Yeah. And that was a big part of owning VHS for me Mm -hmm. is just kind of like, you know, there'd be unlabeled tapes. You'd fucking tape things off TV and every once in a while you go, what's... Tape over stuff. Yeah, right. So there was this sort of quality to it of like... Wait, what is this one? Or how did this or I don't you know, you borrow one from a friend or you get a you know, somebody just a tape winds up you in your You forget to return something to family video. Yeah. Totally. Box switches, so many reasons. And it doesn't have a cover and you're kinda like, well, what the fuck is this one? And everybody accepts at that point in the movie, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I know when that happens. For sure. For sure. What I would really like to know from this franchise is what's up with the guy who points with a bag over his head. That part of the tape really fucks me up. And there's a lot of people pointing that you get in this, but the the like the bag over the head is pretty messed up. I don't know.
1: I just want like a trick-or-treat-esque franchise where they go through like the tape and it's like different aspects of the different what the different scenes of the tape imply that you see in, in, like, out of the order of the tape, but then once you've seen every individual piece of the tape sort of happen, you piece that together and it tells you a story. Yeah. But instead, they go, there were two sadakos and then they fell in a well. And then the dad was like, no, you go in here with the missing piece of the well.
2: The real mystery in this movie is what the fuck happens to the color at the end of the movie, but I won't pick on it for <laughs> that. So we've only seen some of these, but. I mean, the the real question that I had going into it that was part of my curiosity and wanting to learn about this is like, why is it so convoluted? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we get a pretty good answer to that looking at these movies, which is basically like people could never really figure out how to make money off it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that it was such a, So they have this, uh, this TV movie that exists, they have the book and they go, okay, this is pretty popular. And they make Ring and Raisin, like you said, uh, at basically the same time. And they put them out in the world and Ring is the one that hits. And it hits so big that, you know, we think about it as, oh, it brought J-horror to America, which is true. It it had this real international impact, but it also had a huge impact in Japan. Japan started cranking out horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like you said, suddenly anybody who's doing grunge is sort of like, Okay, well, what you're doing is hot now, so like make some of that. Let's see, let's see if we can get other ones of these to take off. Yep. And you know, the director comes back and does dark water and does some of the other stuff with Ring. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like from from what we've seen here that they could ever get that lightning in a bottle again and that sort of explains I mean it what's different about it than in America is the speed at which they were able to try to course correct and so right. desperately make these moves which a lot of times are the right and difficult moves like ring 2 where they're like no all the cast get back in here And we want to make, we're not going to, oh, we fucked it up and just try the whole franchise again. We really were trying to deliver a good direct sequel. We made them at the same time. That didn't work. We're going to try again to deliver a good direct sequel. Oh, you guys like Sadako? We'll give you the origin story to Sadako.
1: Speaking of Texas Chainsaw, thanks, (laughs) Texas Chainsaw, another direct sequel that takes place in present day 40 years later.
2: Good show. That's what we needed. So, what do you think is next for The Ring? If, you know, hopefully we'll do some or all of that on a long enough timeline for the show. But where would people go from here if they just finished these four? So I actually think that there's two answers. I think uh, you could
1: watch the American movies. There's four of them. Also, uh, Ring, Ring Two Rings, and The Ring, or some shit. Um, <laughs> that's like an American franchise where two of like them are three in
2: a webisode or something. I think that yeah, whatever short. it is.
1: But there's also. Um, There's a Sadako series that came out after the American Rings. Uh, There's like Sadako, Sadako 3D, Sadako 3D2, and Sadako versus Kayako, which is uh, Sadako from the Ring versus
2: Kayako from the Grudge. Really in the spirit of Ring Zero Birthday to have... Yes. If only we could have just as convoluted a titled movie. What about... Sadako 3D 2. But that's the, the thing that's interesting though and, and sort of makes
1: a point point. Uh, and, and this actually maybe answers your question to the, to the best. If you're interested in the sort of like tape haunted canon mm-hmm. of the Ring franchise that we just covered, American movies. If you're into the story of Sadako skip the American movies and just get into the Sadako movies because they diverge at this moment. The American movies are very, very interested in the tape and the lore and the Japanese movies to follow are very interested in the girl. So you pick your path, uh, obviously just watch them all. Duh. But you know, if you need, (laughs) if you only have time for four movies, Pick the Sodico
2: thing is really cool too because I always think we got two versus films out of that era. We got Freddy versus Jason and Alien versus Predator. Right. And that's not true. Yeah. The J Horror had its own versus film, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool thing. All right. We got to get out of here. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. What else goes at the end of these shows? Uh, double feature.fm. Hit me with those executive producers. Executive producers, of course. Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker. And Joachim Vernon, thanks for waiting this fucking long for us to talk about Ring.
1: Um, if you want to wait seven more days, we will talk about uh, Hardcore from 1979 and a film called Dogs Don't Wear Pants. Uh, <laughs> so that's what's coming up next time on Double Feature. And uh, you got like 28 different Ring universe movies to go to after this. So watch more
0: fucking film.
2: All right, bye.